Welcome back to This Is Baseball. Spring training is underway. Uh, full squad workouts started this week, and games begin the back half of the week. So Major League Baseball, after a long offseason, is fully, fully underway. And before we know it, the opening day is going to be here, March 28th. So the countdown is on a little over a month before that begins, and then we're in we're in the grind of the regular season. Have a pretty busy show today. A lot of news that I want to get into. Um, I want to start with Rob Manfred, Major League Baseball Commissioner. Rob Manfred announced earlier this week or last week that he plans to retire in early 2029 which is obviously five years from now. So kind of funny to say that he's going to be done in five years, which is at the end of his current uh, contract. He has been MLB commissioner since 2015. So he's he's been around a while. And it got me thinking, what is what is Rob Manfred's legacy? So when I think of Rob Manfred... I think of pace of play. That has always been his agenda. Starting with, you know, I think one of the first rule changes that he made was eliminating the intentional walk, like the, the actual act of throwing four pitches. He, you know, now, now the rule is if you want to intentionally walk somebody, the manager just throws up a four and that's a universal sign of that batter just needs to go to first base because we don't want to pitch to him. And I thought that was always silly because how often do intentional walks happen and how much time do those really take? Um, I was never in the camp of, well, this wild scenario won't happen anymore if you don't have intentional walks. I just thought if you're trying to take time off of the the game trying to make game shorter i i don't know where intentional walks really fall into that but i guess you know that's the place that he decided to start and i think the biggest pace of play change that happened was obviously in 2023 he implemented a pitch clock which obviously in baseball was something that is unheard of the pitch clock is basically the shot clock in nba or the play clock in nfl and what this did was eliminate a lot of the dead time in between pitches because, you know, I'm a huge baseball fan. Um, there was a lot of just nothing happening that didn't need to between the batter and the pitcher in between pitches. We didn't need to have 35, 40 seconds in between every pitch to do your routines or go through your superstitions. I think, you know, you bat three to five times a game. You have three to five plate appearances. I'd like to think that, you can be ready to go when it comes time for you to step into the plate and not have to do all the silly stuff as far as, you know, getting out and adjusting your elbow strap or your, your batting gloves or tapping home plate 14 times. There's just a lot of wasted time. And same with the pitchers of stepping off the mound, messing with the rosin bag, cleaning cleats, you know, walking around doing whatever you got to do, I think, you know, it made sense. Hey, let's let's 
cut out all of the stuff that we don't need and just keep the game going. And that ended up working out really well. We went from games that were on average over three hours to games that were just over two and a half hours. So you, you shaved essentially half an hour on average on your games just simply by implementing the pitch clock. And I think in a time where, you know, people have, uh, uh, are busy and they have a lot of different things to do and have really short attention spans, obviously you want to keep people engaged in your game. And this is specifically for the TV product. I think if you're going to the ballpark, you obviously understand that, you know, you're in for a three hour game or more. But if you're, if you're watching it at home, all of that stuff that's in between, honestly, is really boring. And I think while it was controversial, I think the pitch clock has been a great addition to baseball. And it's obviously here to stay. Along with the pitch clock, he has added um, mound visits. You know, how many mound visits you can have in a game and made a change to how bullpens operate. You know, bull, uh, relief pitchers have to face at least three batters in an inning before you can change them out. So it eliminated a lot of the, you know, the left-handed one-out guy that maybe would have come in and thrown one pitch and then you went and switched them out again. So you're eliminating just little things here and there while, you know, the, the bullpen, how people utilize bullpens was definitely a strategy in the game. But again, the back half of games, you know, innings six, seven, eight, nine, were taking significantly longer to get through than innings one through five just because of how bullpens were being used. So I think, you know, getting... I think bullpens, uh, pitchers, relief pitchers that, you know, can come in and pitch to three guys and be effective, I think is better for the game anyway than having specialists that, you know, you, you just face this one guy every now and then. Um, so again, I think that's a good rule. And obviously like shorter games is better. I don't really care what you think when you, when you look at that, like nobody wants to watch a three and a half hour game. Nobody wants to watch a four hour game. Two and a half hour games are great. But along with, you know, things of Rob Manfred that I agree with, he's also done things that, you know, have made me scratch my head and go, what on earth were you thinking? And the first thing that comes to mind is probably the same thing that a lot of people have. And it's the way that he handled the Houston Astros cheating scandal. Number one, giving immunity to the players and basically giving them no punishment if they talked. I actually think what he should have done there was given every player that was involved in that run an 81 game suspension the same way that you would any any other player that cheats and you know if that means that the Astros had to field a AAA team for half of their season then so be it. The uh, the best way to not have to do that is to not cheat. That's how that should have been handled. Uh but along with not really going about that very well he had he's had some sound bites he's not very good on the mic he's not very good at press conferences 
you know, in regards to the Houston Astros cheating scandal, his thing was, well, what good is it going to do if I take away a hunk of metal? Basically belittling the, the World Series trophy, saying, ah, it's just metal. Who cares about that? And that's not a good thing for a commissioner of any sport to say that basically, uh, who cares? It's just a trophy. Well, it's, you know, the most coveted trophy in your entire league. So it's pretty important. So you probably shouldn't say that. Um, some, un- some other things he's been under fire for saying at press conferences, just kind of looking at the whole Oakland A's situation um, during the reverse boycott that happened last year where A's fans filled the stadiums. You know, he was asked about it, and his response was paraphrasing, you know, oh, it's nice to see a crowd attend a game that would be an average crowd at any other stadium. And that was his response to the boycott, which, again, ruffled some feathers. Not a great thing to say, but even worse than that, he said it just a couple weeks ago. Well, if the A's leave, you know, it's not like it's not like the Bay doesn't have a team. They can just become Giants fans. And that was also paraphrasing, but basically, hey, you have a team right there that you could become fans of. And it just kind of a silly thing to say again for a a city that in Oakland that has lost the Raiders, the Warriors left, and now the A's are going to leave. So they've suffered a lot of loss as far as professional sports teams go. Some things that Manfred is still working through is, um, number one, he's going to have another CBA to negotiate, and obviously the uh, the CBA in 2021 and 22 ended, or uh, began with uh, the players being locked out and there was a labor dispute and the season was in jeopardy. That's going to happen again. The hopefully, hopefully no lockout, hopefully no um, delays in the season. And my hope this time around is that the players association and the owners get together and start working on that sooner rather than waiting until it's too late and making a, a lockout inevitable. So Hopefully that gets handled a little bit better from both sides. Rob Manfred's also been talking expansion. His goal is to get two more major league teams. Those cities have not been decided yet, but that's something that in the next probably five years that we're going to see happen is you're going to see Major League Baseball go from a 30-team league to a 32-team league. And I think a lot of the the roadblocks that were in the way of that happening because I think Manfred's always wanted to do that is what are the Tampa Bay Rays doing with their stadium and what are the A's going to do with their state stadium and we kind of have answers to both of those so now I think Manfred is comfortable moving forward with the idea of expansion he's also working on eliminating blackouts Um, obviously that's been a big point of contention with fans a lot of fans have not been able to watch their home team due to really lack of access there's a lot of different you know you can buy the MLB app the MLB TV app and uh, have access to all 29 or 29 out of the 30 teams and the one team that you're not going to have access to is your own which kind of makes having that app or having that subscription uh, pointless so 
that's something that based off of what I've read that they're looking to have a, a resolution to blackouts by early 2025. And I don't know if that means that major league baseball is just going to go on a, like a joint package that is under major league baseball's umbrella. And they're going to eliminate the regional sports network format or what they're going to do. Obviously we'll probably learn more about that as the year goes on and what their plans are for it. But yeah, Rob Manfred again announced that he's planning on hanging it up in 2029 at the end of his time. And honestly, as commissioners go, I think I know a lot of people hate him, but I have personally been a fan of a lot of the things that he's done for the league. So I was not going to talk about Anthony Rendon today, but as I'm recording this podcast, uh, I get a notification from ESPN that Anthony Rendon, who has been injury plagued for really most of his career, baseball has never been a top priority for me. This is just a job. Rendon is the same person that said Major League Baseball needs to uh, shorten their season, which I have an episode about that, laying out what that could possibly look like. But I don't think somebody that has not been able to play more than you know half of the season for the last three years should be the spokesperson for that. Um, and now you're coming out and saying, ah, this really isn't a priority for me. Um, baseball is not a job. Baseball is a dream. Being a professional athlete is a dream that a lot of, you know, most people don't get to achieve. You're living that dream. You're living a lot of people's dreams. And this really comes off as out of touch. A job is something that, you know, you have to do. You don't want to do it, but you got to do it because you pay the bills. And if that's what baseball is to you, then maybe it's time to, to hang up the cleats and call it a day and go hang out with your family and friends. Or your, Yeah, you've made a lot of money in the league. What are, what are you still doing here if you don't want to be here? It's just, for me, it's an out-of-touch kind of take, and I'm going to move on from it because that's just an annoying thing to say. But I want to get into some Royals news. Obviously, from Kansas City, um, and the Royals have announced their location for their downtown stadium, and they're wanting to put it in the Crossroads District where the uh, old Kansas City Star building sits. And I, for one, have always kind of thought that that would be uh, an absolutely fantastic spot for the new Royals Stadium. It's right next to most of the things that people go down to downtown for. So I think putting it there makes a ton of sense. Obviously, this is going to have to go to a vote on April 2nd where the county is going to have to vote yes or no on this issue. And this vote has, or this, yeah, this has the Chiefs and Royals attached to it, and it is an it is an extension of the current sales tax that we already pay. So it's not going to be anything new. It's just going to be an extension of what we're already doing. And I personally think that this will get voted yes. I think what I've noticed on social media is, and I think that this is common for any issue is that the people that are opposed to it are louder than the people that want it. I've seen a lot of people that are, you know, vote no on this issue on April 2nd. And unfortunately, like, I have not really seen a great reason as to why 
you should vote no on the issue. Um, I've seen complaints about, oh, where are we going to park? Well, um, the same place that you park anytime you go downtown to do anything. Nobody complains about parking when they go to T-Mobile Center. Nobody complains about parking when they go to P&L or Crossroads or really, you know, anything that happens downtown. It's never been an issue. We just, I don't, I think that parking is a silly issue. Yeah. Kauffman Stadium and Arrowhead's parking is super convenient, but I'm just going to echo what they said at the press conference. There's 26,000 parking spots at Kauffman Stadium and there's 40,000 parking spots downtown. Now, obviously not all of those will be available to Royals fans, but I think that using parking as an example or a reason to vote no is just silly. There's not really a lot of backing to it. There's, there's so many other cities that have downtown stadiums that parking isn't an issue. Nobody complains about parking. And I've never seen an owner that's like, we got to get out of downtown because there's no parking for our for our fans. What are we going to do? No, you just figure it out. You, you, Yeah, it'll be different. You'll have to learn where to park. Obviously, when you go to Kauffman Center now or Kauffman Stadium now, you just go into the parking lot. You'll yeah, you'll have to learn something different and you'll get you'll get good at it. You'll figure out best places to park during Royals games. I think the other silly reason for voting no is why would I vote for you if your team sucks? And unfortunately, that's a silly reason because, yeah, the Royals have historically sucked. But you know who doesn't suck and is impacted by this vote? The Kansas City Chiefs. Kansas City Chiefs don't suck. In fact, they just won their third Super Bowl in the last five years. They're on this dynastic run that, you know, in my opinion, isn't going to end anytime soon. You can hear more about that, though, on the Football Kingdom podcast that I host every week. New episodes on Wednesday. I'll drop the link in the comments or in the description. But anyway, if your reasoning is, well, you the Royals suck. Why would I vote for that? Well, because the Chiefs don't suck. I don't know. This Having the Chiefs on the ballot, you know, this impacting the Chiefs on the ballot as well probably helps the Royals out a ton. I think if the Royals were in this alone, it probably would be a much higher percentage of the vote being a no. Um, if your reason for... Voting no is that you love Kauffman, Kauffman Stadium. That's also not a great reason to vote no. Um, I love Kauffman Stadium as well. But voting no because you want them to stay at Kauffman? Um, you vote no. Okay. Royals are just going to go to Clay County and go, oh, well, Jackson County didn't work out for us. We'd love to be in your county. Goes to Clay County. Maybe they vote no. They go to Wyandotte County over in the Legends. Maybe they end up in Kansas. Or, I don't think it would get to this, but maybe the Royals leave. They go to Nashville. They go to another city that is looking for a team. So voting no because you love Kauffman Stadium is just going to... It's not going to put the team back in Kauffman Stadium. That's not what's going to happen. The one valid reason 
that I have seen for people having trouble with this vote is that established businesses in the crossroad districts would lose their spot. They would lose their business or they'd have to move their business. And that does suck. Like, obviously, you don't want that to happen. I would like to think that the Royals would work with those businesses and help them through that situation and and relocate their businesses and get them up and running. Or maybe they'll give them a spot at the some of the places that are going to be built in that area that the Royals are putting up. But what's inconsistent about that argument is last week or the week before, the city of Independence proposed, hey, why don't you put the new Royal Stadium where the Independence Center is? It's a mall in Independence. Just went up for sale. Now, it went up for sale, but that doesn't necessarily mean that the mall's going to close and it's going to be somebody else. It, it could mean that, hey, we're going to put this up for sale and somebody else is going to buy the mall and put a lot of money into the mall and make it better. And I've seen a lot of people that are like, oh, this is a great idea. But those are the same people that don't want it to go to the crossroads because businesses are going to be eliminated or have to move there. Is that not the same thing that would happen at Independent Center if you bulldoze that? And there's a ton of businesses inside of there. They would have to find a new place to go. So let's be, let's be consistent with our feelings on the downtown stadium. I think that there's just more pros than cons to this move. Again, I, I think that this vote will go through as a yes on April 2nd. And I want to discuss one more thing. I want to talk about the Kansas City Royals and 2024. What do the Royals need to do to have a, a successful 2024? What, what is a successful season for the Royals? For most teams, it's making the playoffs and winning a World Series. For teams like the Royals, it's let's get back to winning so obviously in 2023 they lost 106 games which was obviously horrendous and 2023 was this evaluation season for the front office and ownership of what do we have what's working what's not working and the evaluation was this team stinks and we need to do something pitching was horrendous um, offensively they were okay but pitching was just all around terrible so this offseason, the Royals bring in Michael Waka, bring in Seth Lugo. And neither of those names, they're not, you know, top of the line free agents, but they're both serviceable veterans that are going to give you a lot of innings and honestly be pretty decent in your rotation. And you're going to pair that, those players with Cole Reagans and Brady Singer and probably Jordan Lyles. Um, Daniel Lynch will have a shot in there. But then you bring in Will Smith, who reliever has been, uh, I believe he's won three straight World Series with three different teams. So you bring in somebody that knows how to win. And I think I'm looking at Pakota odds, and you can take any sort of projections with a grain of salt, but Pakota is the big one that a lot of people tend to look at, including myself. So Pakoda has the Royals projected at 70 and 92, which would be a 14 point improvement 
or a 14 win improvement rather. So that 14 game improvement or wins gained from season to season got me wondering, have there been any teams that have just completely flipped their record in a year? And MLB.com obviously has this data. So 1999 Diamondbacks improved by 35 wins um, from 1998 to 1999. So they won 65 and 98 and won 199. The Orioles, 33 win improvement from 1988 to 1989. And I can keep going. Orioles again, 52 wins in 2021, 83 in 2022. And obviously they won over 123. So they have just gotten better quick. Same with the Rays, 66 to 97 from 07 to 08. So I'm looking at this not saying that the Royals are going to have a 30-game improvement because that would make them go from a 56-win team to an 86-win team. I think I look at the NL Cent- or the AL Central, and I think that it's honestly not very strong. The Minnesota Twins are projected to win it, which makes sense to be – and they're an 89-win ball club, according to these Pakoda projections. There's a world where the Kansas City Royals are competitive in 2024. There's a world where they find 84 wins, or they find 85 wins, and maybe win a weak division or grab a wild card spot. But I don't think that that should be the goal this year. I think that the goal for the Royals should be, let's figure out how to win games. Let's win 75 games. Let's go 500. Let's win 81 games. Because nobody on this roster, outside of Salvador Perez, and then players that have been brought in from free agency, understand what it's like to win, or understand what it's like to be at the top. Obviously, Salvador Perez was on the World Series championship team in 2015. So he understands what it's like to win. None of these players do. So I think this is 2024 is about let's figure out how to win games because all we know how to do is lose. And then you do that in 2024. And you set a good foundation. And then in 2025, 2026, and beyond, you become a team that can be competitive year in and year out. Now, when I say competitive, I mean having a shot at the playoffs. Maybe they don't make the playoffs every year, but I still want to watch you play in September. That's what competitive is for me. And I think that the Royals are on track to do that with all of the free agency money that they've spent in the offseason, including the big extension of Bobby Witt Jr. of the 11-year deal. $288 $288 million, could be 14 for 377 Obviously, he has the opt-outs in year 7, 8, and 9. But what I think the Royals are going to do is they're going to continue to spend. And I know that spending doesn't equal championships. You can ask the Padres and Mets about that. But what it tells me is that you're trying and that you want to be competitive. And I think you're going to continue to see the Royals make moves like they did with Bobby Wood Jr. where they're going to maybe buy out somebody's arbitration years. And 
I look at Vinny Pasquantino. Pasquantino, who unfortunately was injured most of last season, if he comes in and has a great 2024, you could potentially see them looking at an extension for him that would look very similar, probably not as great from a money standpoint, but a very similar deal for Vinny Pasquantino. And I think that that's the type of team that the Royals want to be, and I think that they're finally kind of getting their footing in that. And Bobby Wood Jr. was just kind of the first domino to fall for a Kansas City Royals team that I think is going to be very fun to watch for the foreseeable future. That is all I have this week. Thank you so much for listening. See you next time.